<laughs> I dare you. Come on, do it. <laughs> what I want to do it. <laughs> Candy man. Candy man. Candy man. Candy. I've lost count. That was four. <laughs> <laughs> First, what's on second? I don't know who's on third. Elementary, my dear Watson. What's in the box? Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. But why male models? Why so serious? I am serious. Now don't call me Shirley. Well, nobody's perfect. Go ahead. Make my day. Say his name five times while looking in the mirror. He appears in the reflection and kills you. Who would do that? Candyman. 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 Well, we're still alive. <laughs> Let's go. Trina, you broke the door. This isn't funny. Welcome everybody to Pop Culture. I am Scott. I'm Jason. And I'm Monica. And this episode, back on Blood Splatter Week, we're talking about the new Candyman. From Nia DaCosta, written by Jordan Peele and Neil DaCosta, and Wynne Rosenfeld, sequel to the original Candyman from 1992, based on the short story by Clive Barker. So there's a lot of lineage here to get to this film. I thought I was going to like it, and I really, really liked it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I right really down your alley, was it? Yeah, it just <laughs> it, it um I, I I just I going into it, I'm like, this looks dark enough and weird enough to be my cup of tea, and it was dark enough and weird enough. Yeah, I'm I'm someone who doesn't do horror very well, so I was very pleasantly surprised with how much I really liked this movie. Um, probably because I saw it more as a really dark thriller more than a horror. Well, I, I, I have to say it was a long time ago since I saw the original Candyman and I do remember the general, I don't know, it's sort of gritty feeling of discomfort that came out of the first one when I saw that. And so I was really interested to see what this would do with it. And... Generally, um, it really did recapture it uh, quite well. There was a few things that I found which were a bit different. It sort of took it a little bit out of this, the general field of the original, um, just that it didn't feel as uh, set in the downtrodden areas as much as you, 
the original film was. And so that was just one bit that I found disappointing. But otherwise, it was a, a certainly a worthy sequel. And it was good that it sort of decided to just get rid of all the other sequels to Candyman. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Way to retcon. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the first one, I, I mean, I don't know. I've never read the short story. But um, and my memory of it is fairly vague, but I certainly remember it had an element of um, commentary. Absolutely, on, uh, um, yeah, yeah. On, on these sort of like poor communities and, mm. and the, the ghetto, if you want. And this movie certainly leans on the commentary. It certainly does. I think maybe a little bit to the film's detriment because it's trying to sort of shove too many things in your face. Um, it's about folklore and history. Um gentrification in the literal sense of the um, the area that they go back to and also, I guess, replacing Candyman's story with the story of what happens to um, Helen from the first film as well, um, race relations um, and also the horrific experience that children go through um, from broken families. <laughs> but there's a lot to unpack and I think there's a bit too much going on. Well, I just found that, um, and this is where it's different to the original. The original, it it was set in the environment mm. more than trying to make a point about it. Yeah. And, yeah. and and that's what made it quite apparent what was going on and you didn't need much more laboured into it. So this one so sort of leaning like, on that gentrification idea, like they've yeah. got to say it because they're not shooting in it. Like, like yeah. so heavily... The neighborhood's on upmarket. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like the art, the artist in it, the main character, his literal depiction of violence in his painting, um, the film lays all these themes in really obvious cartoon ways of yeah. being very literal and uh, visual and specific. Um, it, it, it sort of, it makes these themes really drably clear, which is, great it sort of gives that tone to the film but at the same time it sort of feels a bit more labored as a result because you're delving into those themes and uh in a academic way almost rather than just letting it become part of the film experience but in saying that it, it, i'm talking about just little moments not i i still found the there's, there's something i can't even think of what we're what we reviewed recently that did that what did we were something we talked about that was like really heavy-handed with its commentary Oof. And I can't even remember what it was. It's been a few. Because um, we were doing like three a week and I can't remember. Whatever yeah. it was, I didn't find this as on the nose as whatever we talked about previously. No, well, it, it didn't step outside the context. It sounds that's like for sure. really bad. <laughs> it's not as good you as some remember film. his review. It's better than that <laughs> other film. <laughs> some other film I reviewed. It's not as good as that. It's better than that. Sorry, yeah, really uh, it, it's more that it 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 sort of fell into this trap of having it academic, and and the yep. best way I can say is the oh, addition uh, of the pretentious artist click, clickbait. Was that? Yes, yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, the, having the art critic in that over and yeah, yeah, they're sort of analysing, and it just sort of it it made it too upfront whereas it could have been far more subtle and much more enjoyable. And I found that mm. the addition of this sort of pretentious art society was actually not part of what 
the whole thing's about and it sort of urban legends and yeah yeah it sort of distracted from it and it was weird that was the only bit that i went it missed out on that really nice gritty feeling of the original by having it sort of slicked and uh put into those galleries and whatnot um but at the same time it, it manages to sort of push past that in a way that really makes it quite impacting yeah I, I have to agree with you I feel that the inclusion of those particular scenes I think tries to over intellectualize everything where it didn't really need to <laughs> I think they're really fight like I think really fighting to make it kind of more of a I say smart horror film yes <laughs> which isn't a bad thing but no just not as effective when sometimes you don't need to tell your audience, you know, if they're, they're smart, they'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. It makes it more fun. Yeah, true. Yeah. But all that um, stuff, those like issues aside, I found it, I found it genuinely creepy. Yeah, I loved especially the use of um, music and sound to build yeah. all the tension. Um, that scene where you have um, Anthony, the artist, in the critic's house and he is looking in the mirror and the music builds as he sees this reflection of the Candyman um, doing the same actions that he is in the mirror and you can hear the bees getting louder and louder and they're sort of smacking against the mirror and they're tapping. and Yeah, it was wonderful, really, really uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah the sound no design was become, awesome. Yeah. It's like the moment that really stuck out for me was he was just walking down some external hallway with the rain. Yeah. Sort of. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Going heavy, then light, then heavy, then light. And yeah. You realize how much sound is being used in the film at that point because nothing else is happening other than that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the sound design was unreal. Mm. Sorry, Scott, you go. Yeah. At no point does it ever sort of descend into kind of jump scare kind of fair no, the, the, there were all these kind of like really well built sequences even the point where the art critic gets off was this really like wide shot to not linger on the gore or anything it's just this like sudden uncomfortable movement <laughs> yeah and the same in the scene um in the high school with the four girls as well you don't necessarily because not seeing what happens is a lot more frightening than showing what's happening but and but you get glimpses of it in reflections in the mirror and to me having your own imagination um make those scenarios in your head is much more frightening than actually having to go to the effort of putting it on camera and showing you the gory aspect yeah and they certainly kept the the i guess the notion of Candyman a little more abstract than kind of tony todd menacingly yeah. <laughs> coming at them with a hook yeah absolutely and, and that also lends itself towards the end of the film when um you sort of see the character of william burke recreating the folklore yeah and you know and trying to re-establish the status quo so that's sort of what happened and, and, and change the um he's trying to also like change the meaning of the myth yeah absolutely from this sort of like i guess black victimization to like black vengeance <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Which is, I also, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I also have to say um, in the movie, I really loved the use of the shadow puppets to explain. Yeah, that was awesome. The scene. Oh, yeah. I, was, I had the note there going to talk about that. That was. Oh, it was just beautiful, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. 
it was yeah. a great way to sort of bring you back in from the original to mm. link it, but not, I guess it, it's, as you suggested, it, it's leading to more imagination and you filling in a lot of gaps there uh, when you're looking at the shadow puppets and yeah. what's being shown. And it's, uh, a, it's a much more effective way to sort of, um, I guess, share exposition to, you know, drive the story forward than just having a character sit and tell you. Um, mm. it's, a, it's a nice way to distract the audience that, you know, you're being fed information. <laughs> oh, I was and, just, and oh, sorry, for, sorry, go, Scott. No, go, go, go. I was just going, I, I actually saw it as what it was suggesting too. It's sort of like this idea of um, this is what you're being told, but it's like a shadow of what it was being told, not yeah, quite literally. the direct it's... experience necessarily. So for me, it was... Going that—that's actually really clever because that's you've exactly sort of got that. That's what I was going to say because it also yeah. bends the truth. Yeah, that's right. Of yeah. like the narrative of the original film, mm. it does as well. And when you sort of have um, at the beginning of the film where you have the brother telling the story as well, that's something that's been passed down as an oral tradition. So the story is going to slowly morph and change the you know over time and the further away you get from the actual event taking place. So it ma that makes complete sense. It also adds to that mythology of it because you get a lot of sort of puppet shows and things like Punch and Judy and yeah. whatever else. So it sort of added to that on top of it. So it was, yeah, I, I love that bit. That was I great. Thought, yeah, it was yeah. amazing. That was, those were my favorite parts of the movie, I have to say. <laughs> I liked uh, finally getting Tony Todd right at the end because I think he does have certain, a, 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 an eerie gravitas to him. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> but it was sort of like, I, I, I don't know, by that point it didn't feel completely necessary because it was all about this sort of like the changing Candyman. Mm. Candyman's more than it's this these individuals who, are, who have suffered horribly. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, in saying that as well, um, the performances by um, Yahoo Abdul, oh, God, Martin II, um, as Anthony, he was really good in this movie. He was, he was really good. He was really good, and so was Toyota Paris, um, who plays his sister, um, Nathan Stewart Jarrett, who plays Troy, the brother. Um, I thought he was a great yeah, he addition. Was great. <laughs> <laughs> he was wonderful. <laughs> the aggressively defensive, the brother. aggressively defensive <laughs> brother who doesn't take any crap. <laughs> um, I'm really cu curious to see um, Martin play. Morpheus in the new Matrix film. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I can't wait to see what he's going to do next. He, Yeah, I really enjoyed his portrayal of Anthony. Really good. <laughs> yeah, he, um, yeah, there was a, it was a sort of a, I guess, part character study too of this guy digging yes. deeper and deeper and deeper and kind of losing his mind a bit to the, uh, the myth more than the effects of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, not just a story about Candyman, but it's definitely a story about becoming obsessed with something <laughs> to the exclusion then, of all else. <laughs> yeah. To the point that he, yeah, he, I guess he becomes a part of the, of the, mm. uh, you know, urban legend. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Candyman. Got anything else to There's say? Your fifth one. No, <laughs> uh, no, no. It's uh, you asked me earlier. Have you ever done the Candyman in the Mirror thing? And I remember doing it as a kid when I saw the. Well, not as a kid, but a very young adult. Nineteen ninety-two. So yes, 
<laughs> well, I feel it feels like I was now. But um, I'd, I'd see this is like I liked yeah. this movie so much. It's like oh, I need to go rewatch it because I haven't seen it since I was a teenager. Mm. So there were bits uh, I remember of the old one, but I remember the ending, like with the the, the fire and stuff. Mm. Oh, I just so rem- much remember the gritty, that sort of like the very there's little moments of this uh, film that harked back to it where he's sort of taking photos of the graffiti and then his paintings evolve into uh, the sort of imagery that you saw in the original film. And I, I guess the grittiness bit was the part that I felt was missing, which was a shame, but it still, it works. It works really well. I, and this idea of, I guess, even exploiting the whole situation that it's exploring, which is mm. what all that art stuff is about, is exploiting it all. Um, Mm. makes it fit and makes it work so yeah i really enjoyed it yeah yeah prop prop to neo da costa too some of the camera movements and we're talking about the uh, opening credits with these sort of upside down buildings that for some reason like really made me uncomfortable to the point of like my stomach flipped and i felt like i was going to be sick it was really strange like weird vertigo (laughs) it was just like really weirded me out i don't know why hmm. um and no, i'm excited it, it, like yeah it threw me at first but i actually quite liked it <laughs> but maybe i like that feeling of vertigo who knows maybe <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah she's just signed on to direct uh the captain marvel sequel okay <laughs> She's my age. It just makes me feel like a worthless. <laughs> <laughs> nah, some of it's part luck. Yeah. Uh, no, good on her. Like, oh, this is talent. Yeah. This movie is phenomenally well-directed horror film. Mm. So, yeah, no, Candyman 2021. I really liked it. Yeah, it's worth seeing if you enjoyed that first one. It's definitely worth seeing. Yeah, give it a go. Why not? It's a good hook. <laughs> oh no! Uh, you just stuffed it, Scott. Uh, <laughs> oh, go to the end credits. <laughs> Thank you, guys, for listening to this episode of Pop Culture. I've been Scott. And I'm still Jason. And I'm still Monica. Pop Culture is produced by and recorded by Jason Eddy, Monica Porto, and Scott Souter. The clip for this week's show was a trailer for Candyman, and the song at the end was The Sweet from the Candyman soundtrack. If you're enjoying the show, please I invite you to jump on the Apple Podcast and leave us a review. It helps us expand the show and reach new listeners. If you'd like to find us on social media, we're available at Facebook at facebook.com forward slash popculturepod, on Twitter at popcultureau, and we are also available on Instagram. Popcultureau.